there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one immortal page of Talmud every day. And today, friends, well, I'd like to get a little bit personal. One of the most charming things you could do is ask a young child what she'd like to be when she grows up. She might say, I want to be the president or a scientist or a veterinarian or a dancer or the person who drives that awesome, big, smelly garbage truck that bounced down the road early every morning. For that kid, everything and anything's possible, which is an inspiring bit of wisdom most of us so stupidly abandon when we become that most dreadful of things, a grown-up. But I, well, I never had that pleasure. Whenever I was asked what I wanted to be at 5 or 10 or 15 or 25, I always gave the exact same answer. I want to be a writer. It wasn't so much a deep passion or even a fascination. It was more like a resignation. It was the only thing that occurred to me, the only thing I ever felt like I was truly good at and comfortable with. If there is such a thing as a calling, I felt mine very early, really strongly, and without a shred of doubt. What was it about writing that attracted me? That I couldn't tell you, at least not as a very young child. But a little bit later on, in my adolescence, I visited the British Museum and came across a bit of ancient Egyptian papyrus that cleared a lot of things up for me. Because... Any piece of papyrus is named after the person that discovered it. This one is officially known as the Sir Alfred Chester Beatty papyrus. But it's much better known by its other title, which neatly captures the subject of its work. The Immortality of Writers. Have a listen to just a snippet. Those writers known from the old days, the times just after the gods, those who foretold what would happen and did, whose names will endure for eternity, they disappeared when they finished their lives, and all their kindred forgotten. They did not build pyramids in bronze with gravestones of iron from heaven. They did not think to leave a patrimony made of children who would give their names distinction. Rather, they formed a progeny by means of writing, and in the books of wisdom they left. The idea that there was some way for a human being to achieve immortality struck me as the most enticing of all promises. Forget fame, forget fortune, forget even good health. All of those fade away. I've seen wealthy people die, and they were buried in nothing but a shroud. I visited monuments to men and women who in their day enjoyed great renown, but are totally and completely forgotten today. And good health, alas, it fades away at some point. You can't take it to the grave as well. But leaving a book behind seemed to me like a very elegant way of prolonging this strange, long trip of life, which is just as well because it turns out we're literally not equipped to grapple with death. And I quote, The brain does not accept that death is related to us. Yair Dor Ziderman, a researcher at Barilan University in Israel, told the Guardian newspaper recently, We, he continued, have this primal mechanism that means when the brain gets information that links self to death, something tells us it's not reliable, so we shouldn't believe it. 
the moment you have this ability to look into your own future, you realize that at some point you're going to die and there's nothing you could do about it. That goes against the grain of our whole biology, which is helping us to stay alive. We literally cannot contemplate our own mortality for more than just a few seconds before our brain shuts the whole thing down. And so I write like my life depends on it, not just my livelihood, because it does. When times are tough and news grim and people act in ways that are strange and repulsive, which sadly happens more and more these days, I remind myself that the conversation I'm really having transcends all that. As a reader, I commune with men and women who are centuries, if not millennia, dead. As a writer, I am beginning a chat with people who may only enter it 50 or 150 or 350 years from now. The Talmud understood this idea very well, reminding us that not only writing, but also studying the text that tethers us all to one unbroken chain and tradition, reaching as far back as Moses, the Torah, rewards us with another version of forever. Have a listen. He explains, This is like a pile of grapes left to warm before they are pressed. Just as in the case of a pile of grapes, when a person places his finger on it, immediately it moves as the wine bursts through and the whole pile shakes. So too with Torah scholars. When a teaching is said in their name in this world, their lips mouth the words in the grave. For this reason, Rabbi Yochanan wanted his Torah statements to be attributed to him so that he would earn eternal life. So let's continue. Continue studying Torah, continue reading, continue writing, continue citing our teachers and keeping the memory of those we love alive. Eternity, hallelujah, is within reach after all. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay and Quinn Waller. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Mark Oppenheimer, Sarah Fredman-Ader, Robert Scaramuccia, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic and we will see you again soon.